Welcome to A24 on the Rocks. I'm your host this week, Eric Kiska. Unfortunately, my wife and I are getting over a bit of a cold. She's not feeling well enough to come on, but I'm still here and back at you. Up next, we got Cole. Hi, my name is Cole William Whitlaw Gibson. I am currently traveling, so I don't have my whiskey selection with me, but I have a nice uh, two-pitcher brewing beer. Up next, we got my boy Blaze. Hey, what up? It's Blaze F. Brian F. stands for finisher. Um, tonight, I am finishing off a Smirnoff Ice Smash Red, White, and Barry. Barry Obama. Finally, we have... Good evening, world. Uh, I am Kevin K. Conachek, and tonight I am drinking a sour ale with passion fruit, pineapple, and mango from Eagle Park called Tropical Slush, and it is delicious. Oh, yeah, by the way, I'm drinking Nord's juice because I'm still sick, but yeah. a single whiskey tonight not one yeah no no liquor tonight Oof. tonight uh we're gonna start out a little bit differently i think i want to start out with the ending tonight because this film i feel like we can fully discuss it after we discuss what it, the ending actually was and what the whole film was about so i think we're gonna start with the end and move backwards so kevin yes how about you give us a brief uh explanation about the ending and what was actually happening in this film all right so uh, in order to understand this ending fully i think you have to watch the movie twice or you leave to at least go back and rewatch the ending scene um, oh by the way this movie is enemy by yeah, the way oh, yeah yeah let's <laughs> let's, for our, let's we're jumping the gun here everybody uh this this is uh we're talking the movie about enemy and, tonight. Yeah, uh, adopted from uh, a book actually which we can go into later too so like our previous yeah. movie this was also adopted but the ending um immediate reaction was what the fuck did i just watch um you know with uh where you feel like the whole movie's going with one entire you know thing and you see the resolution where you know well again i'm trying to talk about the ending more than we're talking about the plot of the entire movie um but i think it was meant for the viewer to absolutely be confused as hell i think the director very much wanted that effect um it was intentionally a cliffhanger it was intentionally left for questions it was intentionally left for um the person on the other side of the screen to ask a lot of questions and then probably have to go back and watch it again it was very stylized it was very dark disjointed it really was all over the board but it it definitely made you think um as far as what i think the main ending means um i guess we can talk about what the spiders mean throughout the entire movie um, as far as probably being some sort of um, metaphor for marriage or uh, being tied down or the woman in his life. Um, and then at the end, uh, he decides to continue to be unfaithful. And then she, we'll say, morphs or, or still represents that, that trappedness, that web of, of keeping him down, keeping him, uh, I guess, single or not single but you know what i mean trapped in, in a marriage that he's probably not happy with but i could continue and i could rant and then i don't think we want that so but my reaction to the ending was just kind of like wtf so let's just break through the wall here this uh both the characters in this movie annabelle and anthony clear were the same people uh and they're the same characters in one timeline at two separate points of the timeline and the confused guy adam bell the professor 
Uh, that is definitely him. Uh, he has brain damage after a car accident because there was a car accident at the end, and he's slowly figuring out what his life was and what his other personality was really like. So, Blaze, uh, did you get that ending kind of right away the first time you watched it? Did it take <clears throat> you a bit? The first time it, I remember watching it because it was shortly after it first came out onto DVD, and that movie confused the hell out of me. Um, <laughs> I had no idea... It felt like a simple fight club um, plot, at least the undertones about the uh, leading the dual lives and uh, trying to remember your alternate personality disorders. And then that ending happened. And even though we had already seen the giant spider in the city for no reason, the, uh, the when I first saw the film, the, when he walked into the room and there's a spider and it's cowering from him, and then he just gives a little, huh, and then roll credits. It was very abrupt. It was very uh, subversive. And it made me question um, the movie. And like Kevin aptly said, it, it really demands a rewatch because I don't think you'll understand the movie just watching it once. Cole, did you get many Easter eggs throughout the movie? Did you like when you after you got done uh, first watching it, did you kind of realize the Easter eggs throughout the movie that really let, uh, lent itself to the ending? Yeah, so. This was my first time ever watching the movie, and I had, I never I didn't look up anything, and I just kind of watched it, and uh, <laughs> there uh, it was very very confusing. And like Blaze said, that ending it like happened, and then the credits rolled, and then I just like looked at my girlfriend who had seen it before, and I was just like, it's over. <laughs> yep. And also that spider scared the shit out of me. <laughs> um, but like looking back at it and looking at my notes and stuff, I mean, there's definitely stuff that kind of leads you to, you know, come to that conclusion, but it's not as clear as I would say most films that follow this kind of, not necessarily trope, but kind of the idea of like mental illness, like split personality, kind of like a, you know, like a shutter Island or fight club and stuff like that. When you go back and look at it, there's a little bit more like clear, I guess while this one is a little it's harder to follow or harder to find if you don't know the ending already like like myself at least that's what I I felt like I did not really expect it to kind of be that ending I suppose uh Kevin did you think that this was split personalities did you think Anthony Clare and uh, Adam Bell had split personalities or do you think that uh Adam Bell you know was who Anthony Clare was post car crash uh you know, dealing with brain damage and trying to actually figure out how he was before the car crash. I'm glad you asked that because uh, I'm actually of the the idea that they are split personalities. Um, and I say that basically for doing my research back on it and kind of looking at um, what is real and what is fake um, from the perspective of of the, what's the, Mary, not Mary, um, the other girl. What's the other girl's name? Claire. Claire. Helen. Um, Helen. <laughs> Shoot. Yeah, Helen. Helen, thank yeah, you. Yeah. Um, and Helen seems to know the whole Helen time. Claire, yeah. Helen Claire. Helen seems oh, to know yeah, the yeah. whole time that that Anthony is that is aware of something that he is he's done this before, right? He talks she talks about the cheating. Um, are you seeing her again? Um, I believe that person to be Mary. On the side, the teaching and the full time is what he's doing normally, and then the fantasy of being an actor, which his mom references later in the movie, like you should give up this fantasy of being an actor. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's that's a big Easter egg there for you. Yeah, um, and Mary, that scene where she just looks at him, or not Mary, God, I keep doing that. And Helen is like, I think you know, I think you know, or you know, basically like convinced that 
And and then, of course, the whole idea about the scar and all of that jazz, which, of course, could lead to both theories. But I do think it's split personality um, for those for those reasons. Blaze, did you notice, like, okay, that scene with his mom, It uh, that was a couple big Easter eggs there that lent itself to the end of the movie. Also, how Anthony Claire, Claire uh, loves blueberries and Adam Bell doesn't. So, like, the blueberries there, uh, you know, when he was talking to his mom, he was just like... I don't like blueberries. And then his mom was just like, you love blueberries. And uh, I, th- that was some really, so if you go back and watch it, there are definitely Easter eggs that kind of tell you uh, what the ending was. See, I don't even think it was that much of an Easter egg, at least the way that you're putting it. I mean, it was pretty heavy handed that they heavily implied that Anthony and Adam were the same person. Um, they're only in the same room together when there's no one around. Adam, I believe, the, the history teacher, he meets uh, the movie star's wife at the park. She calls him, but he doesn't pick up until after the teacher leaves. They're basically like, I don't even know anymore <laughs> when you think about it. Because are they that heavy handed about it? Because at least like in Shutter Island and Fight Club, they made you like guess. But it was pretty open and shut. <laughs> from the storytelling perspective of how much of their hand they were giving away. But uh, yeah, that uh, blueberry line was definitely interesting considering how much uh, he made a fuss as it uh, to his wife that he needed the organic blueberries as opposed to um, the teacher who apparently doesn't like blueberries. And then the, uh, all the other stuff that's, you know, that juxtaposes the two characters. So I think they almost did it on purpose where it wasn't even a the big secret. Uh, I think, well, watching it the first time, I think it's fair to be confused about this movie and not pick up any of those Easter eggs, yeah. but, like, well, after watching it, after, yeah, yeah. for sure. Way it, to be an asshole to be Blaze. I'm over here, like, confused <laughs> as fuck, and you're like, you know, I think pretty it's pretty normal to be confused obvious. about this movie at the first watch. Well, um, s- since we're talking about, okay, I'm sorry, uh, since we're talking about ahead. the ending first, I do want to put in my, like, two cents about the spiders, because I think the spiders are the most interesting thing about the movie. Now, this isn't just my opinion. After I watched the movie, like, the second time years ago, um, I obviously did my research. And it's, uh, the spiders are an allegory <clears throat> for arachnophobia, which is the fear of spiders. But it's also, uh, plays into the role of the fear of commitment, which he doesn't give his wife. That's why his wife turns into a spider, because it's supposed to elicit fear from something. But, um, the symbolism is a spider instead of his actual, instead of him actually not willing to commit to his marriage. Yeah. Which we see throughout the movie in the web, uh, symbolism throughout the, the glass shatter was the shadow of the web, the, the, mm-hmm. the wires above the city are the shapes of webs. Oh. Like there's very much, you know, that undergraded that, um, he feels trapped, uh, and why we're on the whole thing too? If you on the second view back, it really does feel fantastical for a bunch of different reasons, right? Like, think about when he first discovers his doppelganger. He watches the whole movie, nothing, just goes to bed, and then he wakes up from having a dream about that specific moment about seeing a face, and then from there, it's it's off into into you know not dreamland, but what seems to be more of a fantastical situation where things kind of are not as as they seem in reality, I guess. Now, Cole, since you haven't, uh, this is the first time you saw it, when you saw the spider getting crushed by the heel, all the men watching uh, these women in this kind of sex club that gave us very much uh, Eyes Wide Shut Stanley Kubrick uh, vibes, what did you think right away, like, when you saw that? Well, I mean, the first thing was, thank God we got back to our roots. We got the feet and then, the, like, the Quentin Tarantino thing and the fetishes, so we could really <laughs> get back to our roots on that. Yeah. But, uh, no, the first, like, 
three minutes of that film, I'm just the whole entire time. I'm just like, what in the fuck is going on? But I did. I like was thought that spiders might be something, obviously, because the poster and then like the the spider foot. So I started a spider count, and I was able to find eight spider related things during the film, from you know the foot to the guy had a tie that had a spider web on it in the movie. Yeah, he had the overhead spider things. The there's like a little spider statue and all these spiders everywhere. And then like towards the end, you kind of like obviously the ending lended its hand to you know, the realization that the spiders were the analogy for women in his life and him feeling trapped yep. and the split personalities and all that stuff. But that sex club scene was, was a wild trip to, uh, to start <laughs> a film off. I'll tell you what. You say there was eight instances. Cause that's pretty crazy. Cause spiders have eight legs and you counted eight. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I had eight from the, I'll go through it. So I had the spider foot, the spider tie, spider, spider the lady with the spider face, <laughs> the city spider giant, spider metal, uh, the spider, yeah, there's like a metal thing on the sh- on the shelf, the spider web windshield, the spider web of the cables over the the cars, and the uh, spider at the very end of the film. Kevin, um, you were going to say something. I was, I was going to say, did you feel that you got the impression from Anthony's character that he was deathly terrified of spiders throughout the whole thing? No, I didn't. I yeah, I thought it was more just uh, almost like he was fascinated a bit by it. Actually, uh, he was scared. Uh, I think what Adam Bell was more scared of spiders than Anthony Clear was. Sure. I mean, I remember the opening scene, right? He has his eyes or his hands over his face when he's watching the spider. Um, but at the ending scene, right, he doesn't seem to mind. He's more just like, uh, so. Yeah. Well, he you know he found the key again that the key to the sex club, yep. and then he saw his uh well his wife turned into a spider or she was already at the spider when he walked in the room. And yeah, that he was very fascinated by it at the ending. He's just like, okay, I'm, I'm back to my old self. I'm going back to the sex club. Right. Exactly. Like, Oh, I was supposed to learn a lesson, but then I didn't. Or or the car crash represents the killing off of Anthony's character, his, his supposed bad self. And he was going to then, because remember Helen wants, Andy to stay. She specifically says, I want you to stay. Anthony or Adam? Adam, Adam, not Andy. Adam. I want you to to stay. Your personality, your your side, the nice version she wanted. Mm -hmm. And then Anthony goes off and crashes into the car, and that sex demon side of him is gone. And then he looks at the key, realizes that it was all for naught, and he's going back to the sex life, and she turns back into the spider exactly at the beginning of the movie again. Well, okay, do you you guys think that um, that car crash, I thought that happened months ago. I thought that this was two different points in the same timeline. The next morning, the radio was going, though. I mean, so unless that's together, right? I I thought it was a design. I I thought it was the mirror, yeah. You thought it was all in his head, okay. I mean, I think it's fair to uh, believe in both, but, you know. Yeah. Because he has the scar, you know, and the, the scar heavily implicates that he did actually get in an accident at some point that is true yeah, yeah. oh okay I, um i thought it meant he was what? a siamese twin <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah either way uh next up i like okay there's a lot of talk of dictatorships in here and you could just take it as okay uh this guy's a history professor you know he talks about this is his class uh the other way to think of it is that it's like spiders and um breads and circuses and everything this all kind of plays into maybe the dictatorship of the patriarchy. 
That's how I kind of took it, is that spiders are getting crushed under the heel of the dictatorship of the patriarchy. This film is very much about the oppressed and the oppressor. And we'll have, you know, distractions for people when we want to oppress them so that they kind of go about their day not really thinking about it that much. And, you know, the big quote that definitely is another Easter egg for the whole movie is, uh, all the greatest world, world events happened twice. And then uh, my personal hero, Karl Marx, says the first event was a tragedy, and then the second one was a farce. And so definitely this movie, the tragedy is him having the adultery, him committing adultery, you know, the first time, and then the farce is him going back to it. And this very much is about uh, human, as human beings, we all end up kind of uh, committing the same mistake twice, you know? Blaze, did you take that out of that? Yeah, no, I think that's a very astute observation. Um, I, I do think I remember watching a uh, Hereditary review, and they told me always listen to a teacher in a horror or thriller movie because it's gonna have to yeah. do with the overarching theme. And again, I failed to do that, so <laughs> I'm glad you picked up the slack. Uh, yeah, yeah, I really, I think I agree with you that it's about the patriarchy and you know how uh, men dominate relationships and how he was basically he was definitely oppressing his wife by doing whatever he wanted because he was probably using whatever happened to him in the car crash or whatever his split personality disorder was as a crutch to make her feel bad because remember in the park she if, if he's really just one person then she had to pretend that he was just a history teacher and she had to like go along with the lie so I think that's a big part. And then the way that he said he didn't want his mother's advice, he just wanted her, you know, validation. He was going to go ahead and do whatever he wanted to do regardless. So the way you circled back around that to his lessons and, you know, his mm -hmm. uh, talking about dictatorships and totalitarianism and stuff like that, I think that's, um, I think that's a very astute point. I didn't think about it that hard, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So De Dennis Villanueva did say himself that the film is ultimately about repetition, the question of how to live and learn without repeating the same mistakes. And I think he tells us in the end that we're all bound to commit the same mistake twice. We are who we are as people. Uh, Cole, did you take that from that? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely felt like the whole like repetition and people are who they are. And, and like the whole movie, you know, whether it's a car crash or split personality, all like leads towards the end where you know all of a sudden you think okay adam and helen are going to be together and they seem like a good couple and then as soon as he gets the key just everything goes out the window and they just cycle everything right back to where they were it's just they're just going to keep repeating the cycle over and over until i don't know either helen leaves him or he leaves her again you know it's just for sure um, Kevin, so the very first quote of this movie is chaos is order yet undeciphered. And I think a lot of this movie is kind of also playing off themes of chaos versus control. And that definitely goes back to the book, The Double, uh, by Jose Saramago, which, uh, this was loosely based off of, uh, Kevin, what, what did, uh, you kind of pick up from the chaos versus control angle of the movie? Uh, I took the, the chaos's order yet undeciphered quite literally as a description of the actual movie itself, the, the chaos of the plot, the chaos of all of the of what we see. It, it truly is 
order once to sun decide once we decipher it once you know you as a viewer look back on it and view through all the different twists the easter eggs we keep talking about the personality differences you know the start to finish i think the director very much wants us to go back and look at this movie with an analytical view he wants us to to kind of break it down and decipher it and so to speak to because when you end the movie it's it's chaotic in your head you have no idea you know what you were supposed to enjoy what you were supposed to take away from it you knew it was good um i mean it won several awards i mean it won the best canadian film um right in 2014 it made several million dollars internationally so it's an excellent movie and done very well but it's also still very confusing. And again, like I alluded to in the beginning, I do think it's intentional. Um, so that's kind of what I took away from that quote specifically. Yeah. Uh, Blaze, what did you think was the chaotic points of the movie versus the controlling parts for, versus the movie? Why do you think that they specifically started the movie out with that quote? Oh, because kind of what Kevin said, that whole plot was a train wreck. <laughs> it was literally <laughs> um, caught... <clears throat> Not to uh, make too many spider puns, but he was caught in a web of, you know, lies and deceit to his wife. And I think the control was him controlling the narrative of his wife and his mistress into uh, playing this uh, game of fake chaos that he created. Or maybe not fake chaos, but definitely something that he uh, orchestrated to uh, get come out the winner on both ends. So in all this confusion and mess and stuff like that, I really do think, again, like I'm just always says this, say this about most characters, is that they kind of know what's going on in their head unless they're actually like batshit crazy. I think maybe he like made a false narrative about himself. So that's where the chaos comes in and the order is where his uh, wife and mistress stay complacent during the whole film. Okay. Yeah. Cole, do you next here? This film took place in Toronto, and as our fellow Canadian on the podcast, uh, they made Toronto look pretty depressing in here, and they made it very yellow, and there was definitely a certain color palette that they wanted to emit throughout this film. Uh, what did you think of their choice to depict Toronto in the way they did? I've been to Toronto several times. I love Toronto. That movie, you could watch the whole thing, and you would never know it was you know Toronto besides the, the shots of the cityscape. Uh, they did a very, very good job of making it seem just, like, super dull, boring, lame, like, no, like, culture, no, no nothing, which is what they were trying to portray with uh, Adam, where he's just caught in a loop, he's just mundane, boring, everything's the same, everything's yellow, everything's beige from his pants to his clothes to the city to his car to everything, um, which I thought was, like, a very, you know, good way, good cinematography to really express who he was at that time or in that like mindset and him being stuck in the rut. And then when you, Anthony gets kind of introduced, all of a sudden things get like a lot more vibrant and bright. He's wearing like bright button up white shirt, very crisp, clean. And then, you know, the scene where they meet each other, the, you know, quote unquote, good version is standing in like a window. It's all brightly lit up while Anthony, the bad version of him is wearing a black leather jacket and is like sulking in a corner and, you know, two very contrasting shots that I enjoyed. I enjoyed a lot. And I thought the cinematography and the way they do a lot of the color palettes and stuff was very nice. Yeah, definitely. And so uh, there's a critic named Forrest Wickman. Uh, he suggests the enemy is a parable about what it's like to live under a totalitarian state without knowing it. And so, you know, that obviously is the whole confusion, like 
the confusion confusion of the movie, uh, why they made it kind of this chaos versus control, they definitely wanted you to kind of feel like you didn't really you, you were confused at all at all points. It was chaotic, except you know like yellowness, the aesthetic of the movie. It is supposed to depict living under a totalitarian state. I that's what I took away from it. Kevin, did you do the same or? Um, so I felt that the allegory or the analogy of the totalitarian state actually focused more on the the brain and the personality of our main characters. I felt that the dictator in this circumstance or the um, the person who's running, I guess, his life is is his mundane nine to five his his college his college career where he's just teaching over and over and he wants to be this actor he wants to do all of these things he wants to go out to these sex parties and he's being kind of controlled by that pattern right he talks specifically about censorship of uh, that dictatorship censor any means of individual expression he talks about that in his lecture and i think that that is a clear you know indicator that he's feeling that that in his own life right that his pattern is continually kind of controlling his narrative and what things are going on with that. So I do think this is a whole parable about the totalitarian state without even knowing it. Um, but I do think it's about a control of his own brain. Um, and it kind of fits to the rest of what we're talking about with the split personalities and all of the other um, analysis of, of his specific um, personalities. Definitely. Uh, Blaze, did you get a lot of inf- – do you think that Dennis Villanueva got a lot of influences – from other directors, because I got very Christopher Nolan vibes this whole film. Uh, yeah, I'm sure he found a lot of, um, uh, what's that, um, it's it's more of a parody movie, but, um, Starship Troopers is a very good, I uh, love that. Where, where you don't, like, where they make totalitarianism states seem like, like, it's just regular way of life, but really it's... I mean, it's the satire is phenomenal in that. Yeah, I'm sure he got a lot of uh, influence from it. Like anyone specific? I mean, Christopher Nolan, maybe. Yeah, I think David Lynch. You know, he is a, a big director that kind of plays with themes like this. Also, plays with keeping the uh, audience kind of in chaos, in confusion, a lot, and then kind of always reins it in in the end. Uh, definitely Memento, I think, Christopher Nolan. That was uh, a big influence on this film. And then Alfred Hitchcock. I feel like it's not understated that they chose two blondes to be the two female protagonists in this film. And I I think that, you know, this definitely had a Hitchcock-esque influence to it. Uh, Cole, did you take the same thing from it? Uh, yeah, so when you mentioned Christopher Nolan, the first thing I thought about with this movie was Memento and how I, it feels like he got a lot of, you know, his inspiration from that film and, and from those directors, uh, you know, just the way he portrays it and gets the vibe from with the, the colors and all that stuff. I definitely could see him getting a lot of his uh, inspiration from that. And speaking of inspiration, did you know that this movie came out the same year that Jesse Eisenberg had a movie called Double that's also based <laughs> off a book called The Double, but not the same, The oh. Double. They're completely different in all aspects, but they both came out the same year called The Double about people finding out their doppelgangers. Very strange. I fell down a rabbit hole of figuring out what the fuck was going on in 2013. Wow. Yeah. Did not know that. Well... You know, I, I will take Jake Gyllenhaal over uh, Jesse Eisenberg oh. in most roles. Yeah, you know, me too. Maybe not, maybe not for Mark, Mark Zuckerberg. Let's but, talk yeah, about Kevin, that. Let's talk about Jake Gyllenhaal yeah. here a bit. What oh. did you feel about his portrayal of Adam Bell and Anthony Clare? Fantastic. 
um, I think in general, a lot of cinema kind of takes the idea of a doppelganger where you act the same when you're acting both characters. Like, you're identical in your personality, you're identical in your look, you're identical in everything. But not in this movie. Jake Gyllenhaal very much had a distinct character for Anthony, a distinct character for Adam. Um, and it was very fascinating to watch him switch in and out so quickly. Um, you could, you know, write entire lists of the type of person that both of those guys are you know anthony's very charismatic and adam's very you know schlubby and quiet and he just does such a great job of creating two separate characters that when you go back and analyze this whole thing you're like wait a minute it's the same person but <clears throat> while i'm watching it i'm convinced that they're two separate people because he did such a phenomenal job um i think that with this type of movie the entire vehicle is this actor right in some movies where you have them your leading man where you have to play off of a bunch of other people, and that's really important. But he makes this movie. Everything about his his portrayal of these characters with the theme really, really did a phenomenal job. So I was just very impressed. Yeah. Blaze, same for you. Uh, did you like Jake Gyllenhaal's portrayal in here? I, see, I feel like Jake Gyllenhaal is very much a character actor where he usually pay, plays somebody who's absolutely miserable, um, and he's good <laughs> at it. But what did you think, Blaze? Yeah, I was going to say, like, I hate to say, like, typecast, because I don't think he's a typecast. I think he's more of a character actor, but he just happens to be playing really good, like, weirdos. Like, I look up, like, Nightcrawler, <laughs> Danny Darko. Yep. You know, Donnie Darko, e yeah. even Z Zodiac, I thought he was kind of a weirdo in the film. <laughs> like, he's obviously a very good-looking man, but he pulls off that, like, creepy bug-eyed weirdo look so well. And, like Kevin said, the way that he could play the same person but like with two separate personalities i mean that takes acting chops in its own right you know i've seen um parent swap and Lindsay lohan couldn't do it so you know <laughs> thank you I, I really needed that laugh um so yeah i think he uh played really good the uh french actress who played his mistress uh melanie laurent and she's from uh inglorious bastards i wrote yes, that down yes, yeah i remember oh, her like that. wait a minute yeah Yep. Yeah. She's uh Au revoir, Shoshana. She's uh, Shoshana. Yeah. I thought she did an excellent job. I thought his wife did okay. But yeah, Jake, I mean, the whole film's about Jake Gyllenhaal's uh, Anthony and Adam characters. So all the other supporting cast just had to do their job. Jake Gyllenhaal did a phenomenal job acting. He did a great job at uh, pacing how like the two interacted with each other. Where they, at first they were afraid of each other. And then something happens, and then something happens, and they finally, like, collide, and it just, he did a great job. I think he uh, really sold the uh, characters. Yeah. So Dennis Villanueva, he's the director of this film, and he actually directed another film with Jake Gyllenhaal that same year called Prisoners. And he went on to direct Arrival, Blade Runner 2049, and Dune, and is going to direct the second Dune movie, too. This was really a huge, huge turning point in his career. I think that, so, you know, A24, it's a distribution and production studio. This movie was actually, produ like, originally produced by different people that weren't connected to A24. They were, it was brought to production uh, studios that, you know, had nothing to do with A24. And then it was all in Canada, too. And then A24 chose to pick this film and release it in the United States. And when we talk about A24, what they're really good at is finding films like this that fit their vibe and we release the, they release them widespread, you know? Um, Cole, do you think that this film was kind of a turning point in A24's catalog where they really started to get into that mind-bender kind of thriller 
type movie. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's what you know from the first uh, podcast we talked about. That's what I really love and enjoy about A twenty four, as we all do. But a lot of the films that we've watched previous to this one really didn't have that. Like Spring Breakers, none of that. The Charlie Sheen movie, really none of that. Like Ginger and Rosa had like the the really good feeling in it, but this movie really nailed like kind of like the unsettledness like the thriller of like i'm not sure what's happening with along with the cinematography and everything and then like the way that jake gyllenhaal portrayed the two characters and just a lot of uncertainty going on and just like very confusing and then like weird dream sequences with you know a naked lady with a spider face that i was not prepared for and all this other, you know, crazy stuff that was happening that never gets addressed. Like, throughout the whole movie, I'm like, they gotta, like, something, like, they gotta do something. And then this credits roll, and I'm like, okay. And then you go back and look at it, and you're like, you know, I actually am glad that they didn't address any of it. And uh, to the point where, uh, another fun fact that I'm gonna throw in here, all of the actors, including Jake Gyllenhaal, had to sign an NDA explain that they could not explain what the spiders were in any any like uh interviews or anything after the film was released so which i thought was a pretty cool thing that they did because if any if someone explained to me that beforehand um i think it would have really taken away from some of the mind bender type stuff that because the whole film i'm just i just confused but i'm enjoying the ride yeah kevin so you're not a big you know you haven't watched a ton of a24 films you haven't seen the lighthouse midsummer uh the witch some of our favorites uh what did you think of uh this kind of turn in the A24 catalog, setting you up for what might be kind of their their bread and butter in the future. I'm excited, to say the very least. Um, I've, <laughs> I've started to get that vibe like we've just been talking about, like it's progressively getting to that point where um, I kind of know the direction that, well, I, I hope I don't know, actually. That's kind of the cool part. <laughs> I don't want to know. I want to experience all these movies for the first time and really kind of see where we're going but if they can elicit that what the fuck reaction from me then they did a good job right that's exactly what they're going for at the end of this film and it makes me want to go back it again and i will recommend it to somebody and we'll talk about that when we get to the review but uh i'm excited to see what a24 has in store and i think you're absolutely right they they stumbled like they gotta find their footing and then if your guys's you know reaction to this is you know we got damn near a decade of of craziness just going at it so <laughs> i'm excited for sure and Blaze, yeah, what did you think uh, about this turn in the A24 catalog after our first five films here? Yeah, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Um, this was the uh, first film where it'll become a theme down the road where they kind of take off the training wheels and they kind of say, hey, listen, this is a movie. We're going to show it to you. And you're going to have to interpret it how <laughs> you want to interpret it because, you know, there's no, like, happy endings anymore. There's no, you know, definitive endings there's no, you know, it, some of these movies get off the rail, and this is a good um, a way to dip your toe into the water, Kevin, because I feel good. like a lot of movies, especially I think the ones that you're going to like, are the ones that we're going to have discussions where we're going to be like, well, this means this. Well, no, this means this. And if you look it up on the yeah. internet, you're going to hear 500 different answers about the exact same, oh, well, he tied his shoe, you know, da 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 So... <laughs> <laughs> All right. So... I really do think this is a great uh, turning point for the entire production company, and I think the more um, a, a majority of the films that we're going to review from here on out are going to be of the same ilk, where it's going to be a great 
uh, for debate and discussion as opposed to A met B, B plot happened, resolution. So yeah, love love the fact that they took the chance on this one way more than uh, Charles Swan. For sure. <laughs> yeah, and I just I think one of the things I love about A24 and this film and I think this was the first film that really did this, is that uh, every single shot of the film, every single line of dialogue, every single uh, you know mood and facial expression the actors have, it all means something. There's something behind every single part of this film. And when a film can do that, I uh, it takes so much attention to detail and thought. I have so such great respect for it. And yeah, I, we'll get to the grades in a little bit here. But Cole, did you feel like this film, literally every single part of it meant something, you know? Yeah, uh, 100%. I mean, just everything was so meticulous and so thought out from, again, from the the scenes or even the film where he sees himself and it has like a bunch of stuff thrown into the mix of that, we including more spider paraphernalia and things like that to um, the scene when he goes and rents the, the movie, the song, The Cheater's Playing, and it's kind of talk, yeah. kind of alludes to that and... It's just like everything is purposefully and like painfully done to a point where, you know, you could go back and, and watch it again, which I want to. And I'm excited to do so to, to see even more of what I missed that now that I know what it's about or what the ending is to go see and, and really dive into all of just like the way they talk and, and, you know, how they like the whole conversation with his mom may have seemed on the nose to blaze but to me it seemed like it was just some kind of like throwaway lines of like yeah my son's kind of crazy because he thinks he found a doppelganger but then when you go back there's a lot of stuff that alludes to you know she she's the first person to talk in the film i think with like the voice recording of his apartment and then that conversation with her and then at the end it talks it just everything is done so like perfectly and i i really enjoy that a lot and a, a couple of closing points here. Kevin, the music, the theme, heavy bass clarinet, heavy, uh, I don't know, doo, 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 you know, yep. just got, like uh, maybe it could have been in Curb Your Enthusiasm in a different world too. But, uh, you know, like <laughs> what, what did you what did you think about the theme of the movie? I thought it did an excellent job of um, conveying the intensity of certain spots. Uh, it also helped kind of make us feel right along with the characters. So anytime you have ambient music as opposed to anything with lyrics, right, that really has a very important role in making you feel something without you knowing you're feeling it. It's the same with lighting. It's the same with color. It's the same idea that you're creating an atmosphere and an ambiance that flows with each scene. Um, and like you alluded to, it might have certain orchestral parts that are feeling uplifting in certain parts, but it also gets loud and intense and as the scene ramps up, the music ramps up. As the, the awkwardness or the tension, um, you're you're hearing those those huge volumes coming through. But I do think that it's really important to take into view watching environment when thinking about movies and music in this particular spot. I was watching this film on an iPad driving up to the UP. I probably would have enjoyed it a whole lot more if I was at home with some surround sound, you know, in yeah. like dark Upper rooms. Peninsula for those that aren't. <laughs> yeah, Michigan. sorry, upper yeah. Upper Peninsula of Michigan, <laughs> up in the middle of nowhere. Uh, I still enjoyed it immensely, but imagine what I, you know, how I would have taken away from it if I would have been in a, a better environment watching it. But overall, I thought the the theme was was fantastic and it did what it needed to do to convey it. But nothing really stuck out to me where I was like, oh, this is awesome. Other than music is more suspenseful. For sure. Yeah. So, okay, and this is a, a point that I was uh, 
asking, debating with Kelly about, do you think that Anthony Clare met Helen Clare, or no, sorry, met Mary, the mistress, do you think he met her in the sex club and then was stalking her later when he was on his bike and found her? Uh, Kevin? Uh, I thought there was a heel comparison between the two, but I yeah. might have been like where he looked when she was on the bus. Uh, but I think it was more just a reaction to finding out that Anthony or that Adam was in his life, right? But it, I don't, I haven't really broke that whole thing down, right? Because if they're the same person and he's following a girl that Blaze, did you I think he met her in the sex yeah. club and then he saw her on the street later and uh, stalked her and then figured out who she was? I think that's completely plausible. She seemed a little too nice to be a sex club worker um, <laughs> as a person. But, you know, like I said, I could definitely see, like, his character as Anthony being a bit stalkerish and waiting outside the club and then, you know, finding out where she lives and then, you know, oh, da 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 So, I I definitely think that's a plausible uh, way of how they met. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Yeah, I I agree more now that I think about it because their entire relationship is about sex. They don't talk. It's very clear that it's a physical relationship. And if you think about the split, right, Anthony would have met her. And then, yeah, no, I agree. I think that's exactly what happened. For sure. All right, well, now let's give our grades here. Blaze, I'm going to have you start it out here. What did you think? I think when you look at uh, the archetype, like we already talked about, of what A24, at least the uh, big films, stand for. I mean, even down the road, there'll be, like, Uncut Jewels and Moonlight and other, like, more, like... Dr- uncut Gems. Uncut Gems, yes. <laughs> gems. Uncut Job. <laughs> Whatever. I'm, I don't have a script, all right? You guys do. <laughs> <laughs> I just know that I know the uh, <laughs> name of that film. But Uncut yeah. Gems, Adam Sandler. You're right. Okay, I'm just <laughs> I'm just saying, like, just knowing, like, this is the archetype of a24 films. As I know and appreciate them, I appreciate this movie. I feel like I have watched this movie too many times. This is like my fourth viewing. So the slow burn of the film, which I'm sure uh, Cole. And Kevin, like, you know, it was really nice little tinders for him. Or for me and Eric, it was probably like, all right, let's get to the spider shit at the end. You know? <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, it's very hard for me to judge. I really wish I could go back in time and get in a time machine and have this be my first or second watch. I think Jake Gyllenhaal does phenomenal. I think uh, Melanie Lamont? Le- Laurent? Laurent. Laurent. I think she does a really good job as the mistress. I think all the supporting characters do fine. You know, and there's still, like, to this day, there's still a little bit more mystery to me, like, when I think of the uh, uh, the security guard who, like, gives them all the envelopes and stuff like that. He calls him Anthony. So I, I wonder if there's, like, more to the story. Like, like I said, where I feel like things were a little too heavy-handed, where maybe, maybe there's more of a actual two separate people but that's a different discussion but yeah the tone the ambiance the acting twist at the end and you know the the story is like ogres it has layers so (laughs) (laughs) Um, so i'm gonna give it a solid b24 i think again this is the standard that they should uh live up to for the rest of their movies especially in the thriller horror genre for sure uh kevin i'll go to you next uh, overall, I really enjoyed the film from start to finish. Uh, I enjoyed it even more after I sat down and took some time to really think what I had just watched. Uh, I do feel like we had talked about earlier that this is starting to progress into the A24 catalog. 
Um, I think that it had its high points, its low points. Um, mostly, if I had to say anything about the low points, it was the fact that I was confused during it. But that's <laughs> the directorial intent, so I'm actually okay with it. Um, I do love that it took a an age-old theme, right? I mean, the idea of a double exists in literature for every country and every recorded history throughout all of time. And that is pretty cool that we're playing on something that has been, you know, discussed and dealt with and film and literature for as long as it's existed. Um, I really thought that characters were played very well. The actors and actresses did an excellent job. I would recommend this to friends um, to see, and I will go back and watch it again, not on an iPad, in the middle of a car in the middle of the day. I also Mm -hmm. give this a solid B24, mostly because I, uh, you know, thought it was great, but it could have been a little bit better. That's all. All right, cool. Yeah, so <clears throat> kind of touching on what all you guys said, you know, the, the way it was laid out was really good. Um, as a first-time viewer, definitely very confused, but I, I really enjoyed the cinematography and the feel and the vibe that this movie gave off, and and like the sense of you know boredom and and repetitiveness at the beginning to the, like building tension more and more. And the more Anthony gets introduced, the more kind of terror <laughs> kind of creeps in and stuff like that. I really enjoyed that. And then the spider at the end kind of scared the shit on me. It was not what I expected at all when <laughs> he went to go see Helen. Um, but I, uh, I definitely would recommend this to a lot of like my friends that are, you know, in, into these kind of films or cinema files. Uh, I would give this, I don't want to be the same, but I don't think I can give it any better than a B24, uh, and I think that's what it really deserves. All right. So I think this was the first film, like I was saying, was the first film that had the A24 vibe all the way through. Uh, when we talk about A24 vibes, we're talking about how they're great at portraying vibes and feelings through cinematography and the aesthetic of the film, the color palette of the film. And I've noticed every A24 film so far has been between an hour and an hour 40 minutes, uh, the first six here. And so I feel like they had, like, maybe limited runtime. Like, uh, each of the films they picked uh, to distribute, maybe it costs more money to distribute films that are over an hour 40 minutes. But either way, yeah, literally every single point of this film, it meant something. There was something that they were trying to portray, and... I have such great respect when a film does that, especially, uh, you know, when you're making it short and succinct into an hour, 30 minute film, every single thing has to mean something. And I have such great respect for directors, actors, screenwriters that are able to emit this kind of vibe with the limited runtime they have. It's a bit sick and twisted and a warped point of view. That's what I loved about this film too. And uh, I think that I'm going to give this one an A minus 24. And uh, I think that, you know, I'm grading this on the scale of A24 films. I know that there are better A24 films out there, which, you know, stopped me from giving it an A. But I just, I loved every single part of this film. I loved all of the influences from this film. I loved how I felt Hitchcock vibes, Christopher Nolan Memento vibes. And this was just so well done. And I, you know, I I think this was the best film from A24 that I've watched in these first six films, not of all time, but in these first six films. Agreed. So, yeah. <laughs> if only it had Bob Odenkirk uh, in it. <laughs> yeah. If Bob Odenkirk uh, was, I don't know. Yeah, who would he, who would he have been? I, there's no extra been, character really He would have been Anthony. Anthony. What are you talking about? Yeah. Janitor. 
<laughs> yeah, he should have been the the uh, yeah the bell guy yeah. at the uh, the acting agency. Also, it's, okay, I, what I do think it's time we officially retire Spring Break forever and we bring in. Did you fuck my wife? I think that's. <laughs> <laughs> Did you fuck my wife? <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was so fucking. <laughs> Hyping himself um, up, getting ready for it. Yeah. Last thing, have you guys ever found a doppelganger of yourself in real life? No. Yeah. Okay, I, I was looking around. No, I'll, I'll send work. it to you. Um, I'll, I'll send it to you all separately. But basically, my sister, uh, when she was in New Mexico, she went to a bar and found someone that looked exactly like me, but like 20 years from now where I'm balding. <laughs> but it's like the version of me if I never met Kelly and I w- was never married. Like I, Like complete drunk. Uh, talking about like UFOs and supernatural shit all the time. That's Probably r- runs a supernatural store, and uh, it was like the freakiest thing I've ever seen because it, it was kind of like in Spectacular Now, looking at a future version of yourself <laughs> if uh, you really go off the rails. Right. And yeah, I I don't know um, if I should track him down now after watching this movie. Uh, you do you guys think that's a good idea? Absolutely. Yeah, Let us know how it goes. <laughs> I think. <laughs> no, I, 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 I really. I, I want to track him down and act exactly like uh, Adam Bell did in the movie. Just like be really befuddled by him, and then just be like, "This wasn't a good idea. I think I need to go now." <laughs> the thing is, I think amazing. you're the shithead personality disorder. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, one can argue differently but what's going i on? won't <laughs> to be fair i have way, i have seen cole and kevin's doppelgangers at walmart they were fighting <laughs> over the last <laughs> milwaukee's best um <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, all right well that'll be it for uh tonight so good night everyone or i guess we'll see you next time next film is under the skin Ooh. and uh yeah it's scarlett johansson it's supposed <gasps> Thank to be amazing God. Oh god. If there's <laughs> one foot shot I'm not showing off, that's